Good morning, everyone. Thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, my name is Alex Patterson. I am the Executive Director of Canada 2020. Uh, and it's a pleasure to uh, see you all today joining us uh, for our Indigenous Economic Reconciliation Forum 2020. This is a, an event that we have hosted um, for going on I think five, six years now. Um, last year, obviously, we had a, a, a different looking event. We were able to meet in person, uh, but we're really happy to uh, be convening a, a really crucial conversation again this year. Um, before I get into the, uh, the, the, the why we're here, I'd like to acknowledge that where I'm broadcasting from, uh, I'm broadcasting from the traditional territory of the Algonquin and the Anishinaabe people. Uh, and uh, we have a really packed program today. Uh, helping us make this program possible, first and foremost, is Canada 2020 Sustaining Partners. These are the organizations that help us do what we do. Um, and they have stuck with us through a very turbulent year, and we really appreciate their support. I would also like to uh, single out uh, two uh, companies, Rio Tinto and Enbridge, for their specific support for, for this program. Uh, we really appreciate their, uh, their wanting to see programs and conversations like this take place. Uh, it, quick sort of level set of where we're at. So this series that we've been doing from crisis to resilience, um, we've been very busy uh, and we've been uh, hosting conversations. Uh, we started with uh, with Christine Elliott, the Deputy Premier of Ontario, and we have covered the gambit from conversations on connectivity infrastructure, um, uh, green infrastructure with uh, Minister McKenna, uh, small business supports with Minister Ng. Today we're here talking about Indigenous economic reconciliation, um, and uh, we will be doing some more work next week on energy. But if you want to catch up and you want to sort of engage in some of the work that we've been doing, you can do that. You can go to our YouTube channel, Canada 2020. Uh, you can look at our Facebook Live, uh, Canada 2020. And if you like listening to stuff like I do, you can search for the 2020 Network on your favorite podcast app. Uh, so today... Um, we, or as I mentioned, we're, we're very excited about keeping this conversation moving and there's a lot of active dialogue, um, happening right now. Our, our moderator today, Tabitha Ball has a really fantastic article in the Globe and Mail a couple of days ago that I encourage everyone to read. I know our, uh, comps team is sharing that out and I think it's a nice, uh, level set for, for what we want to talk about today, which is that, uh, you know, we are obviously in a moment of, uh, real crisis, uh, but if we are not intentional and if we are not um, uh, concerted in our efforts, uh, in Indigenous communities, businesses, entrepreneurs, and people will have a harder road to climb out of the moment that we are in. And so we want to spend today diving into what success looks like, uh, some novel approaches, some new ideas that are helping to shape this conversation. Uh, Quick agenda overview at 10. Uh, so we're a couple minutes behind, but um, we have a, a fantastic conversation to kick us off here with uh, the Honorable Mark Miller, uh, Minister of Indigenous Services. And like I said, Tabitha Ball, she's the President and CEO of the Canadian Council for Aboriginal Business. We'll get to them in a second. Uh, afterwards, um, we have a, uh, a conversation uh, with Dama Dabi Leach, who is the Director of Governance and Institute. Sorry. That's a, that's a typo. She is at Wabatech, um, uh, which is a, uh, a, a group and an initiative that was launched actually at uh, our, our event last year, her Center of Excellence. So Dawn is uh, going to be with us, as is Clayton Walker, who's the president and CEO of Iron, the Iron Ore Company of Canada, as is Tannis Peterson, the executive director of the Chuatan Railway. Uh, so looking forward to talking to them. 
Afterwards, we're going to be checking in with uh, Krista Smith, the Chief Counselor of the Heisla Nation, as well as Susanna Pierce, uh, the Director of Corporate Affairs for LNG Canada on the LNG project and development uh, on the on the West Coast. And then finally, we're going to be talking about uh, about major projects and Indigenous participation in, in, in major projects uh, in Canada. Uh, Neil Edwards, the Executive Director of the First Nations Major Projects Coalition, will be with us, as will Brian McGuigan, Manager of the Aboriginal Policy at Canadian Association of Petroleum Producers. Uh, Bing Giroux at Sedgwick Consulting, and will be moderated by our good friend Sahir Khan at the Institute of Fiscal Studies and Democracy. Um, if you want to engage with the platform today, you can do that using the, if you're watching on Zoom, use the Zoom Q&A function. I will be uh, going through and, and sending questions to our moderators. Uh, or if you're watching on Facebook or YouTube, use the live chat. Our team is there as well. Um, we uh, will be concluding next week with this series with a, an event with uh, Minister O'Regan. So I'll, I'll uh, briefly plug that. And uh, and I will now hand things off to uh, Tabitha. Tabitha, I will uh, give you the floor. Thank you very much for for uh, leading the conversation today. Thank you, Alex. So Ani Tabitha Indigenous Cause Nipsing Dishnaba. Good morning, everyone, and thanks for being here. My name is Tabitha Bull, as Alex said. Um, I won't uh, go into my background too much because I really want to dive into this conversation. But I want to say thank you to you, Alex, and to Canada 2020 for for this platform today. It's um, you know not lost on me that an organization like Canada 2020 would dedicate this much time to talking about economic reconciliation and um, something that, of course, at CCAB we're pushing. But you know, a lot of our um, our friends here on the call and also in our discussions with Minister Miller. So I wanted to, to jump into the conversation. I'm really looking forward to this uh, discussion this morning. Minister Miller, thank you for being here. Pleasure to be here. You know, I, I was reflecting back on the, the last time that uh, you and I had a, a real discussion, and that was back in, in your office at the end of February. It was a snowy day in Ottawa that day as well. Um, and I just, I really want to say much for the time that you took. It was a busy time for you um, at that time. For sure, there was another economic disruption happening. I don't know that any of us thought that we would be here 10 months from now. So I just wanted to ask if you could reflect a little bit on the past 10 months and, and what you've seen um, happening and, and the role governments played in economic reconciliation with Indigenous business and communities. Well, look, th thanks, Tabitha, and, and thanks for uh, for leading this important conversation. Uh, I, I'd highlight, uh, as much like Alex, I, I am uh, in awe and coming to you from the traditional territory of the Algonquin people um, here in Ottawa today. Um, I I would actually go three months back to when I was uh, was named minister, and you know, I, I, I I'm reflecting on that this year that's gone back gone by at times really really slowly and at times really really quickly. Um, and if someone had asked me if if what uh, what my what my ambition was uh, a year out, and I had said um, my ambition is is to keep people uh, healthy, safe, and alive, uh, they would have looked at me as if I was an, the most unambitious person that's, that's ever been named to the post uh, to, to any position as a cabinet minister. And yet here we are today, uh, in the middle of a global pandemic. Um, and when we last spoke in February, we were uh, in the midst of uh, some really challenging times that. Uh, with respect to the Wet'suwet'en solidarity, solidarity movement that was um, affecting the entire economy, not knowing uh, the pandemic that was to come. And we had a very interesting conversation on, on some of the economic tools that, <clears throat> as part of 
the government's commitment, we were uh, and we still are committed to bring to bear to uh, to ensure that we start closing those create these those, those social economic gaps that are the main um, main aspects of my mandate and um, really a, a source of continuing inequality in this country. And if anything, COVID has shown it's really exacerbated. For example, um, the crisis in housing that uh, in some communities it creates up to fifty percent of housing insecurity um, issues that uh, of, of clean and safe water. Um, challenges with respect to land uh, recognition, all these issues that really uh, underpin uh, the topics that we're talking to about today, which is uh, economic reconciliation. And uh, they're they are really the cornerstones uh, of safety and security that um, that we have to continue on, even through a pandemic. And, and while today Indigenous communities are, are getting hit very hard by, by a second wave, and um, we're really deploying all resources, including Options with respect to the military to make sure that even the most northern and rural communities are 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 um, are being kept safe, um, and 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 we're reacting in lightning quick time with respect to a a virus that moves quicker than than us. Uh, it, it is really something that uh, my mind keeps focusing on, and um, I'm sure this conversation will continue into some of the supports that the government has brought to bear uh, in order to to try and address some of the gaps that exist with respect to some of the economic inequities that exist uh, with respect to Indigenous peoples. And I would point to some of the, the measures that were put in place that are wide in scope. Um, and they were really measures asking the Canadian government to do something that's not particularly good at, which is to replace really what is a private function of, of, of generating wealth in the economy. Um, and so they were very, very broad in scope. But what we saw right away was that in some ways, um, they affected directly Indigenous uh, communities insofar as um, when you talk about band-owned businesses, they weren't eligible initially. We had to make a fix. Um, when you talk about special supports and access to capital and supports, whether it's grants, loans, forgivable loans, um, and equity, really um, ones that uh, Indigenous businesses, um, most often smaller businesses than large, but there's a very important conversation here about uh, access to large capital that will be very important for, I think, your, the people watching today. Um, what we saw was those inequities come to the fore. So quickly... We deployed capital, and I think we can talk about that in subsequent questions, to ensure that uh, we were we, we were moving to address um, that unequal access to capital and grants that, that are so important in supporting businesses generally, um, but much more so during uh, a global pandemic. Um, yeah, and I did want to I did want to talk about that, and, and as you know, we've done a lot of work on on a lot of those programs that were rolled out, and um, very pleased to see the response happen when when those inequities were came to the forefront. I guess the question I'm I'm kind I'm kind of struggling with and I, I know I'm taking a bit of an advantage of your time here. Um, but you know in the speech from the throne there were so many really um, incredible commitments made from the government with respect to closing those gaps, social economic gaps with with respect to water and truth and reconciliation commission and missing and murdered indigenous women. But what I, what I found was a bit missing was that discussion about economic prosperity. Um, you know, we, we definitely need to close those gaps for Indigenous people in this country and right the wrongs of history. And I know that you're very committed to that. Um, but how do we also ensure that we're continuing to have that economic prosperity discussion and not just with your ministry, but across all of government? And um, that's something that we definitely found as programs were rolled out that uh, it took it took us to have to flag those with your ministry for them to be, to be remedied um, where we really want to see these programs rolled out with the thought across all ministries about how does that affect indigenous people and businesses? 
Yeah, and it's it's an exceedingly important point, Tabitha, and, and really voices like yours are key to identifying those so that we can move quickly uh, to address them. It, it's important to, in my mind, to take a step back as to what that speech from the throne was supposed to do and what it wasn't supposed to do. Uh, I don't think it, it um, my reflections on this will and all be a criticism of your point, um, because I think it's an exceedingly valid one that we should should be talking about and be capable to be moving on even in in the midst of a global pandemic. Uh, but the, the speech from the throne, which feels like it was a year ago, it was only about uh, two months, was, was really um, a reaffirmation of one, what was said in the speech from the throne from, from the year prior, um, which included these important aspects as well as uh, those contained in various mandate letters. And, and we'll, I think we'll talk about procurement after that and some of the challenges that we face, even in procurement during COVID for COVID-related um, uh, for example, PPE or other measures that are being deployed to keep people safe. Um, but the, the speech from the throne, uh, so it was like two months ago, um, was uh, was really directed to Canadians and Indigenous peoples living in Canada to say, we will have you back. Um, we will have you back to keep you safe, and we will deploy the resources necessary to, to, to make sure that you are safe through the course of this pandemic, the course of which we haven't entirely traced, obviously, and we still don't know despite the fact that there's a light at the end of the tunnel, still a heck of a lot of tunnel left. Um, and the fall economic statement um, put, put, put teeth to that. Uh, it also was, was, was an opportunity to address a number of issues that, um, that COVID has brought to the fore, uh, particularly some of those inequities. And, and um, I would name it among those, um, uh, the, the closing of the infrastructure gap, particularly in housing, which is, I think, in people's minds was... Uh, was a, was a livability issue prior to that, but what we obviously realized is that it's also, it's also a massive health issue, particularly if you look at the way COVID spreads, particularly if you look at the way tuberculosis spreads, particularly among 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 the Inuit, but uh, First Nations are not exempt from that, or Métis either. There's 60 times in, in some First Nations communities and in non-Indigenous communities, 300 times in uh, Inuit communities. Uh, that's an issue of housing, uh, and, and, and people, I guess it's hard for a lot of people to grasp that. So um, that, that was one of the examples. There, there are, um, and, and then again, the, the speech from the throne reiterated what was said in the speech prior, only a year prior, sometimes most of the time, they, they, they're four years apart. Uh, but um, it is an exceedingly valid point because I think what we're seeing is every time I engage with leadership, every time I engage with, with, uh, with prominent business proponents and leaders, um, they say to us, you know, there, there is this pandemic, that's the priority but we need to be able to move forward on another number of those key issues. Um, for me, it's it's ensuring those infrastructure builds uh, of an essential nature can continue. We, we've talked in the last week a lot about water builds and the recommitment to that. Um, we've talked about roads, um, building that capacity within the community, keeping keeping people safe, um, but also deploying the economic instruments that uh, that I mentioned earlier um, a few minutes ago. And, and if you recall, in April, we announced about $307 million for specifically targeted towards, towards Indigenous businesses through NACA. Um, I think 240 uh, has been directed towards, towards, towards business owners. But um, those, those are measures that, um, that, that we continue to signal and continue to show our, our, our commitment to, to, to just keeping Indigenous businesses um, healthy during, during this pandemic. Procurement's a huge issue. Uh, that 5% commitment... Um, for me, is about um, the government of Canada putting its money where its mouth is. And it's been, as you know, it's been uneven across departments. Um, you could look at defense, you could look at indigenous services, you could look at procurement. Uh, they, they fluctuate. And you can't sort of have this uh, sort of compartmentalization of indigenous business. It's got to be across the spectrum. 
So as part of that is, is a longer term approach to ensure that within government, we're telling each other, say, hey, you got to start investing and committing to these Indigenous businesses. And for that, um, it, it's been imperfect and uneven. Uh, and we need sort of mechanisms like, like navigators that I think you've been a, a proponent of to ensure that community it's it's hard for any person to go in <laughs> to go into the, the government of Canada's suite of resources that exist and say, hey, that thing's for me. The obvious there's there's always help needed. Um, I would propose I would say even more so when when you're a business owner that that's been um, historically um, and not so and the more, more recent past um, not been able to have that access to capital for a number of reasons, including um, racism, systemic racism. Those are also issues that were touched upon in the speech from the throne that we need to address to ensure that we're moving forward on, on that level playing field that uh, it still isn't level. So I, I know you'll have follow-up questions for that and I'll stop yammering, but um, <laughs> I, I, I make no excuse for what goes on in speeches from the throne, but um, I think the context is very important. No, that's, that, that is helpful. Um, yeah, I think, so I want to touch first on, on the economic recovery and infrastructure spend commitments. I think those were definitely welcome. And, you know, we've talked a lot about that as well, about the impact on Indigenous businesses who had to move to work from home or Indigenous business people who've had to move to work from home, both from, you know, broadband, from overhousing conditions, as you discussed. Because as we look towards economic recovery and that uh, investment in infrastructure and community, how do we ensure that Indigenous businesses and Indigenous people have an opportunity to be part of that recovery so that they have a part to build the new homes uh, within communities and that they have a part to um, do maintenance on new schools and infrastructure? And I think there's a real opportunity there for us to ensure that we're growing that economy, um, particularly within communities when we're when we're um, growing that infrastructure, repairing that infrastructure. So just your thoughts on how we can ensure that that happens. Um, it's by trusting those on the ground. I, 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 you know, I, I'm reflecting on the impact of um, what the best resources uh, and how they were deployed during COVID in record time um, for key health outcomes and what we've seen clearly consistency and measurably uh, when we've looked at the health, um, health response to a health problem. And, and by analogy, I would say this is no different for, for, for business, uh, is that when you, when you trust people on the ground and when you give them the financial resources necessary to deploy their, their genius, uh, it works. And We've seen that throughout the pandemic response, those that trust their health authorities locally, uh, Indigenous-led pandemic response teams. They're all working, um, they're all Indigenous, uh, they're all working exceedingly well for their for their people. And, and they know that, um, that those solutions that are sort of come from on high uh, get get much less, um, get much less paid attention to than, 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 uh, than local leaders, local leadership, elders, um, innovators, people trusted sources. Um, so too for business. Uh, I, I, you know, you, the way we, um, and, and a particularly pointed example of that is um, some of the challenges we're facing on, on some of the water infrastructure and, and lifting long-term water advisories. Um, one of the repeated criticisms that, that I've been hearing from leadership is that uh, we wanted, they wanted us to be with them for the long-term and not simply after spring 2021. So a lot of the announcement we made last week are amounts to stabilize uh, the way critical essential services delivered. And that goes by training people on the ground, ensuring that that skill is deployed and lifted up so that those people that are pride of their community in some sense, working in a state-of-the-art plant, suddenly don't get a better offer from another community, or, which is a more often than not non-Indigenous. And that was one of the polls that we had, for example, you know, while meeting the long-term water advisory wasn't uh, part of the long-term 
plan and partnership. That that's no different in business. Um, it's no different in um, in larger uh, infrastructure builds. For example, seeing how the infrastructure bank can can deploy larger capital into communities, northern or remote, remote communities, and not saying to yourself, "Oh, that's northern or remote, therefore uh, we're not or smaller. Um, therefore, we're not going to invest in it because X, Y, or Z." I mean, that's often a proxy for saying we're not going to work with indigenous peoples. And then there's a second aspect what you're what you're talking about, and I'd like to hear your ideas on this as well, is um, how, how you deploy Indigenous capital, Indigenous brilliance, business savvy across all of Canadian society. And and that's an aspect that, that goes far and above any sort of um, capacity that Indigenous Services Canada has, for example, and, and uh, even and perhaps less so uh, the Government of Canada. But those are initiatives that we have to sort of lift up within Canadian society to ensure that uh, that, that, that Indigenous businesses have that access to capital, access to equity, have that uh, traction that uh, is rightfully theirs. And so that that's a reflection I haven't really perfected my thoughts on, but um, it's it's an important aspect of this discussion. Yeah, I think, you know, part of that we've seen um, in some of the work that we're doing, this will kind of lead us to the procurement discussion is uh, how does government um, in moving towards the 5% incent partnerships, so incent uh, corporate Canada, to ensure that they're also working with Indigenous business, to start to ensure that they are across Canada, as you said, um, really valuing that capacity within Indigenous leaders and Indigenous businesses. And we've done some some work that I think will be coming to your table or your desk shortly on on how um, to get to the 5% we can in, in and how the government can incent that tier two, tier three purchase from Indigenous businesses. So I think that's, that's a real uh, important component of that 5%. Um, I know we've had some uh, discussions with Don, who will be talking later, and our friends at NACA and CANDU, continually to work towards this 5% policy. Um, but maybe, you know, if, uh, you could just talk a little bit about, about where you see that process going on how we're um, getting to the 5% and some of the levers that you think are going to be really important to ensure it is a, a cross-government uh, commitment. Well, one of the first things that I need to do is keep nagging my colleagues in cabinet, and because uh, it falls under their responsibilities. And when I say get, you know, put our capital of the government of Canada um, where its mouth is, uh, it, it's a serious commitment, and um, that's part of my my task. It, it falls as well on Minister Nina Nan, who uh, has the lead on this. Um, very eager to, to to work hard and 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 make this uh, make this commitment a success. We're not there yet. Uh, we're not there yet, but we're, we're we're certainly working on it. I recently had a sit down with her and um, and the president of the Treasury Board, Chinese to ensure that we were um, doing this in the right way uh, and and making sure that we had Indigenous voices, Indigenous contribution. In fact, your your navigator solution came up. <laughs> so happy to hear it. Is absolutely absolutely it's not falling deaf ears. Um, but these are all, and, and we have Indigenous voices around the table as well. Um, and that that is key to to ensuring that um, we're not sort of having this edict that, that we've all kind of come up with together in the room and then it just doesn't work on the ground. We have to make it stick. And it's got to cut across, it's got to cut across departments. Um, there is um, often a, a, a default approach to take sort of a pan-Indigenous uh, approach to things. And, and that is something that does get criticized because we, we have to realize that uh, there are economic realities in different regions of Canada where um, there might be a disproportionate uh, balance that just doesn't work, but it should not be an excuse for more movement. Um, I certainly don't see the. I think we, we've got to get in people's minds that 
five percent is a is a floor and not a ceiling, and um, and that's that will take um, persistent commitment from from people um, all in cabinet and all the way down and through throughout the civil service. It's one of my my reflections as well is, is you know, our civil service is independent. It's a cornerstone of a pluralistic democracy, uh, very key to that. Um, but making sure that those uh, that muscle memory is, happens and, and gets ingrained in the civil service is, is key for this being a success. I, I could be out of this job tomorrow, um, but those you know highly trained, skilled civil servants uh, in Indigenous Services Canada, a great number of them are Indigenous um, Making, making a lot of sacrifices to work in a department that gets heavily criticized um, are, are working to, 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 to make a difference for their own peoples. Um, we have to make sure those reflexes go cut across, uh, cut across those, those governmental silos. Yeah, I think that's a, it's a great point too. And, um, and I know we've talked about this too, just about the uh, cultural awareness training and uh, training across government, particularly in procurement. I know some of the, um, barriers we've kind of heard is just the procurement officers and talking to indigenous businesses. Um, I think there's, there's an opportunity there for us to really ensure that they understand the barriers that indigenous based businesses are facing and something we'll um, be speaking to about as well. But just to say, as you said, um, you know, uh, it is about across government and, and people who are making those real connections and contacts to indigenous business and how do we ensure they understand the barriers and, um, you know, just particularly like why they may not have had a successful federal contract in the past. Cause that seemed, that is definitely a key issue right now that uh, indigenous businesses are facing and looking at procurement. And I think that's just the one, um, you know, I, I think there's great work being done on, on getting to the 5%. I think it's really important that we remember that there are close to 60,000 indigenous businesses in Canada today that, that could also be, um, accessing federal contracts in advance of us getting to the, the policy of the 5%. So we need to be able to, you know, keep working on that uh, today as well. Um, I think I wanted to, uh, there is a, there's a question in the chat. So maybe I'll, I'll ask that. Uh, and then if, of course I'll have others or <laughs> um, if not. So uh, this is a question from Heather at Indigenous Resource Network. Uh, We've seen a lot of big Indigenous business deals in the past few months, such as ECMA being buying 50% of Clearwater Seafood and a Cree Coalition Natural Law Energy securing up to a billion stake in Keystone XL. First Nation Major Projects Coalition and the AIOC are providing financial support for even more First Nation-owned and led project projects. Do you think Indigenous nations should be involved as partners and proponents in resource projects on their territory? And what is your government doing to support these kind of equity opportunities? That is, a, that is an excellent question, and I will do my darndest to give an excellent answer to it. Um, I, I think there's an and this is something that I think is interesting about um, how we see the slow progress, and, and, and sometimes it kind of hits us that yes, there has been progress, um, despite despite. Some of the some of the really distressing things we see in the news, um, particularly in and around uh, some of the unacceptable violence uh, in, in the fisheries, with respect to the Mi'kmaq, um, in their constitutional right for moderate livelihood, uh, and that is well, that is an ongoing discussion, and it you know it's a it's a, it's a reflection on on us that people have to go to court to perfect rights that are theirs inherently um, or through treaty, um, but the. My reflection on the Clearwater uh, deal was that um, this was an opportunity for a uh, 50-50 joint venture 
the Mi'kmaq to um, to pursue a, a livelihood that is uh, is actually exceedingly lucrative, while difficult, obviously, because fishing is, is very difficult, dangerous. Um, but this is an opportunity to, to thrive and, and uh, go into an area that has historically been excluded to them. Um, Clearwater uh, is a very lucrative company. It has, a, I guess, a sort of exclusive fishing zone. Um, and it, it is, um, it's a real difference maker in, in the Atlantic. And um, this is an indigenous, these are indigenous communities or a consortium that will uh, be given the opportunity to thrive. And, that, and that's, I think it's heartwarming. I, it, it goes into the, the, the mention I made earlier about access to big capital. And I, I sincerely hope this, this transaction goes through because uh, um, I think it's a, it's, it's a symbol of um, where we've come as a country. Uh, while we do acknowledge that there's a whole heck of a lot more to do, um, you look at the, the Grand Chief of the Cree Nation, whose words in, in Quebec um, resonate quite strongly that, uh, you know, here they are, um, you know, driving the bus and it's, they, they, they're in charge. And um, that, that's, that's something that has been rarely afforded to Indigenous peoples across Canada. Um, another aspect of this is the reason for doing it, and we'll talk about Canada's obligation, is because um, the courts are saying so, uh, UNDRIP is saying so, um, and we're catching up to those judgments. And they're catching up with us, and it's affecting business to the extent that if you're not engaging in the right way with Indigenous communities and uh, addressing their rights, uh, you can't you can't effectively deploy your capital in the project that you want to do. And often you'll find partners that um, that are willing to do it and um, there's one shouldn't presume that uh, indigenous communities all think alike and that there isn't a difference of opinion within communities uh, there's sometimes a tendency to think that way it's not the case there's difference of opinion but there's also um, great consensus building skills uh, and, and, and great capital that's remained undeployed and that includes large investments that includes um, Involvement in the, the resource and extraction industry that, while controversial uh, in many, many circles, um, is, is one of the largest employer of Indigenous peoples in Canada. And Minister O'Regan underlines that often uh, when we talk about uh, working to, to achieve um, informed consent, which is a cornerstone of, 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 um, it's a cornerstone of Canadian law. And um, that, that's, that's something that we need to reflect upon and, and, and help foster Help, help foster consensus building in the right way, uh, deploy the capital necessary to support um, the, the, the innovation that is already out there. Um, I, would, I would say to you that we're not there yet, but um, very conscious of it and, and, and working hard to support, support capital in its ability to, to be deployed by Indigenous peoples. Uh, that, that involves um, something I mentioned earlier as well, which is the, uh, some of the weight that can be brought to bear of the Canadian infrastructure map. Yeah, I think we've definitely seen, I, I mean, Chief Terry Paul won our Aboriginal Lifetime Achievement Award last year, and he's uh, definitely been a, a real leader. And I think so important too is his ability and desire to help share his learnings with other communities. So, um, I, you know, I'm hopeful for the Clearwater deal as well. Um, I think that, that also kind of one of the discussions we kind of had just about the and also the Clearwater deal is just this this opportunity that it also provides to um, you know I so I just came from a, a 
discussion with Minister Baines on the 50-30 challenge. So how do we increase the number of women and Indigenous people and underrepresented people on boards and at executive leadership? And uh, so much of that discussion is about how did the youth see uh, Indigenous leaders in those in those positions? And I guess maybe just... Um, some of the things we're, we're discussing this, we were discussing this morning is, you know, how do we ensure that we're increasing that employment, but also how are we holding up the youth to ensure that they have the education and, and the results and resources to, to get to those new um, positions. And then we can ensure that we're uh, promoting within organizations also to the higher levels. Um, so it's just a, a question on uh, the 50-30 and, and where do you think the role is that and what do you think we also need to do in order to ensure that we have um, the youth and the, the youth there seeing those potential positions for them and um, what's the government thinking they can do to support that role? These are all exceedingly important questions, but it's one that, 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 that's top of mind uh, based on recent discussions I've had um, in and around education and continuing the supports. Uh, through primary, secondary, but also post-secondary education. And I think um, what we've seen throughout this pandemic is, is uh, the importance to support Indigenous students um, that are facing some really, really challenging times in their post-secondary education. It's, it's, it's why early on we deployed about $75 million directed in an over and above all those instruments that were available for everyone else, but um, targeted supports to Indigenous students. Uh, that are, that are struggling in their post-secondary education. And then more recently, based on the demands of, of, of an area that is really um, needed, needs more space to flourish, which is, um, which is some of the post-secondary education on reserve. Um, often, often people faced with a choice will obviously have to go off reserve to do their post-secondary education. There's some really brilliant institutions that are, that are flourishing across Canada. Um, and as we, <laughs> as we move to decolonize uh, post-secondary education, a part of that discussion is ensuring that, uh, that in community uh, resources are, are, are supported. So um, recent announcements in and around supporting post-secondary education uh, on reserve are, are, are key to this discussion. Just make, in, in the general theme and importance of supporting those students who are, are just, you know, got the grades, should be able to go and, 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 and just really allow people in that 20 or 18 to the 30 segment to, to flourish. It's a very distressing time for them. And this is going to be a difficult winter. And these are, these are, these are challenges that are very, very much present, but they're, they're so important for the future. Um, based on, um, you know, things that Paul Martin says often, which is, this is just a demographic that is, uh, that, that we can't fail. Uh, and too often we have failed. Uh, and that goes first and foremost through allowing those tools to be, to be there. Um, and then ensuring that um, access to, to micro capital, uh, to make sure that innovation and ingenuity gets deployed is, is key. That that falls largely under, uh, as you mentioned, Minister Baines, but it is the, they're all elements of, of this important puzzle in ensuring that uh, we don't fail yet another generation. Thank you. Yeah, I know ESTC is, um, and the, there was a question about this kind of came in at the same time as I was asking about uh, ESTC's goal about developing the national training uh, plan. Um, and are there going to be beavers or how do we ensure that there's training for Indigenous people included in this plan? So we've actually just uh, done some work with ESDC on, really, on looking at the um, Indigenous people through that, through, that have been trained through that plan. And I know uh, just for the audience, ESDC is, is working with Indigenous Works on some programs of ensuring um, 
Indigenous students have opportunities to be employed. Um, just uh, your thoughts on, on if there are specific uh, carve-outs within the ESDC training program for Indigenous youth and if it's something that, that you think we might be able to advocate for. I'm certainly, I'm certainly willing to, to bug my colleague in order to do so. It's one of my, it's one of my particular personality traits, but um, I think there should be. I'm not, I'm not familiar with it. I think there should be. I mean, we've, we've been pushing, and this is, again, part of the greater conversation that we have at Cabinet is ensuring that um, you have a number of portfolios that are primary Indigenous in nature. My uh, Minister Bennett and, uh, and Minister Van Dahl, to a large extent, but it has to be a whole Cabinet approach, and that includes uh, Anita Nand, who's passionate about these issues as well, uh, and Minister Baines, and they're aware of it. I, I'm just not as familiar with those uh, with those instruments as I perhaps should be. But glad to push yeah, no, I think, you know, it's just something that, that we've found too, um, just in, um, I mean, it's a lot to put on just on, on your ministry and Minister Bennett's for everything that's Indigenous, where we, where, and I know we've talked about this before, but really like it needs to be every ministry looking at how does this work for Indigenous people and not, not continually coming back. So I don't, at all, I don't think that these are all things that you should be <laughs> definitely inserting in, but uh, just trying to understand how from here we can better um, influence within the other ministries. So thank you for that. Um, I guess, you know, I, just maybe just to give you an opportunity to think about potential options or, or opportunities. And, you know, I completely understand that right now your main priority is ensuring that we get um, vaccine rollout and PPE and keep people safe and, and uh, ensure that communities can open again. Um, but if you look beyond, beyond that, um, if, if we weren't where we are um, a year ago, what would you have said that your, your goals were and what you were hoping for? Um. <laughs> Not to spot at all. <laughs> no, I mean, look, there, there were some there were some key uh, mandate elements in, in my in my letter that I, I take very seriously. Um, one of the the challenges I have when I get a little bit of free time is that is to ensure that we we keep pushing those. Um, you know, I think people have seen our the our ability uh, that while perhaps disappointed with uh, with with uh, unfortunate deadline pushes that, are, that we're recommitting. Uh, to, to Indigenous peoples, I've often, often, and, and I found this through learning, and I didn't expect the, the gap to be so wide. Is that there's um, there's there's an understandable lack of trust that Indigenous peoples, most level towards the Canadian government, other levels of government for that matter, um, and, and that constantly has to be built and nurtured, um, and that comes through contact, through relationship building, comes through demonstrating real promise as opposed to simply making promises. Um, and that I think is, is is some of the the issues that get raised very very often throughout pan, throughout this pandemic. Well, you know, the very real um, people want to see a recommitment to uh, to closing some of the closing the socioeconomic gaps. I, I would note on that that we, we do talk about um, socioeconomic gaps, and it's very important to note the massive investments that this government has put in. Um, National Chief Bellegarde likes to say it, it's five times the committed amount by the by the Kelowna Accords, um, but they have contributed to closing the gaps that separate Indigenous peoples from non-Indigenous peoples. The UN recently released a report that showed a closing, um, that showed, um, showed a closing of that gap. Um, Canada 
dropping a tiny bit and, and indigenous communities moving up. Um, but there's still a, a noted, there's a noted gap between um, communities, uh, indigenous peoples living off reserve and, and on reserve. Um, and that's, that's work that is continuous. Um, it has made it such that indigenous communities are more vulnerable to COVID and there's nothing magic um, that has that, that, that has been done to, uh, to sort of help with in, in indigenous communities fighting COVID. It's, it, it's come through a tremendous amount of effort that has taken a very sort of tr truthful acknowledgement of those gaps and how we work to overcome them. Um, those still remain. Um, we're working to address them and they need to be addressed in a, in a, in a multifaceted way, uh, including full active participation of indigenous business, indigenous peoples in the economy. Um, yes, through those very important pillars that I mentioned, um, but also through um, better access to capital, better support, uh, better integration, uh, better better awareness throughout society. And I think this is where we do a, a less of a good job uh, of, of some of the ingenuity um, and, and, re and real brilliance that is out there that has been um, historically underappreciated and, and discriminated against. And those are, um, you know, those those are things that um, we see every day, uh, and and we have to continue to continue to work in many many ways, including uh, including lifting up your advocacy and, and making sure that there is economic reconciliation. Um, you see you see you see flashes of hope, and we mentioned we mentioned the Clearwater deal. There are many others, um, but there are also many pitfalls along the way. It's it's my challenge these days is is making sure that uh, we don't let um, we don't let um, that type of uh, thinking that, that has consumed us in the past um, consume us as we try to deploy in record time a vaccine in a way that um, that reflects what our healthcare system is that is underserved Indigenous communities and is one of universality, but it has as its underpinning a basis in fairness that recognizes that uh, vulnerable people need to be addressed. Uh, and, and this, I know you wanted, didn't want to be talking about COVID, but <laughs> I have to conclude on this point because we are still in the midst of it. But uh, my challenge on a daily basis is ensuring that uh, that, that, that those peoples are, are properly served. Um, the reminder is in my title, but it's also a reminder of everything I see during the day. So I I, I end on, on on saying that I, I am I am hopeful, um, despite the next couple of months, two three months being most likely very 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 difficult. Um, but I believe coming out of this, um, and as we talk about the stimulus, and it's important, um, it's an important loop back to the fall economic statement, as the Minister of Finance indicated when it is right to do so, uh, to invest a couple points of, uh, in, of, of percentage points into our, of our GDP into, into stimulus. And this absolutely has to include economic reconciliation. Yes, thank you. I completely agree. Um, happy to do what we can to support that. Um, so I think we're, we're getting to time. Um, I really want to thank you for your candid uh, conversation today, as always. And and really, you know, for taking the time to be here when you, I, I understand that, you know, the health of our people is, is so important and a priority. So um, want to ensure that you're able to continue to focus on that. Um, but it's always, you know, good for all of us to continue to look forward at how we can recover in an inclusive way and, and regrow Canada, um, including all of us. So uh, Chima Gwetch, thank you so much for being here. It was really a pleasure to, to chat with you again. Mr. Miller, thank you very much, Tabitha. Thank you, Miigwech. Uh, really appreciates uh, the opportunity to hear from you both today. So thank you very much.